that we don't matter more than a you or anyone else. We matter as much as Chelsea wants to matter as much as Anne. And, you know, I want my husband to matter as much as your husband and as much as the next person's husband and be seen as a person. He's got several degrees, you know, had very wonderful jobs and very well educated. And none of that matters because the first thing that is often seen is that he's a black man. And so people may feel threatened by that unnecessarily. He's never committed a crime. He's not robbed anyone or shot or killed. Welcome to Love Your Neighbor. This is episode 12, What Matters? And Reverend Ann Kirchmeyer will be talking with Chelsea Williams. Hello, friends. This is Saturday, September the 5th. And I am here with Chelsea Williams. Let me uh, tell you a few things about my friend Chelsea. She's a native of Cleveland, Ohio, and she's currently a resident of Newport News. She has a Bachelor of Arts from Hampton University and a Master of Arts in Teaching from Norfolk State University. Currently, Chelsea is employed as a reading remediation teacher for the Norfolk Public Schools, and she also is a substitute teacher at a couple of places. Chelsea and her husband just celebrated their 10th wedding anniversary. They are the proud parents of two young sons, an eight-year-old and a three-year-old, and Chelsea is about to begin the adventure of homeschooling her three-year-old next week. Chelsea's older son, Elliot, attended St. Andrew's Episcopal School, which is how I got to know Chelsea. Chelsea was an active member of the school's board. And of course, that was a very difficult season to be serving on the school's board in the time when Chelsea and I were there together. Um, What I think of when I think about Chelsea Williams is a lot of integrity, someone who's wise and faithful and also brave about being candid. As I think people know, I started after the killing of George Floyd, engaging in conversations with some of my Black friends and colleagues to get a perspective that my predominantly white congregation might not otherwise hear, a perspective that I also want to hear. So we started doing this a couple of months ago, and then of course, most recently, Jacob Blake was shot seven times, um, you know, an unarmed black man yet again being shot by a white police officer. So we are certainly still and continue to be in the midst of um, a very racist society and trying to figure out how how to talk about it and what to do. So that's that's kind of the context in which this conversation is taking place. And I had a, send, a chance to send Chelsea the questions ahead of time. So Chelsea, I'm just gonna start with the first one. How are you doing? Um, well, you know, it, this is such a, a crazy time because of the pandemic, which was already going on. And so um, I think there's there's kind of been this sense of what else in 2020, but for many of us who were dealing with these other issues, um, George Floyd and Jacob Blake and um, many of the other things that have taken place in 2020 were not the first. And so for us, um, unfortunately, um, 
I think it's kind of like again and again and again. And currently, because of the pandemic, um, we know social media and all of those things, and people have better cameras and phones always on them. Things are always being recorded at this point. And so it's here for the world to see. But now most people are also sitting at home and not able to say, well, I didn't see that on TV or I haven't heard of that because you're sitting there a lot of times. Um, and it's kind of right there on the screen constantly versus when you're busy with life and everybody's actually going out to work and all of those things. So um, I think personally, the interesting part has been the kids are home. And so, um, you know, having a, at that time, seven-year-old, he just turned eight on Monday, um, there, there's kind of no escaping the conversation because it's on all the channels. It's on all the, even Nickelodeon and Disney and, um, and HGTV and all of those took a moment to kind of pause when George Floyd was killed um, to say, we don't stand, you know, for racism, we stand up against racism. And so um, even on those channels, <laughs> you know, with the kids watching, um, it's time to have the conversations with everyone. So um so we're doing okay. Um, just a lot of conversations, a lot of a lot of discussion about about these things. Wow! I you're the first person I've talked to. I'm realizing with young children, and so I'm of course not in the world of Disney and you know mm -hmm. all those others. And so that's fascinating. I, I hadn't realized that. And then of course, if your child is seeing stuff on TV, even if you whatever your decision might have been about whether to talk about it or not, it, it becomes a forced, I mean, you have to talk about it. If yes. Yeah. And they, they, um, I, I should have said they didn't just take a break. They took that eight minute, almost nine minute break um, to symbolize, you know, his, his killing. So they didn't just pause for two seconds or a 30 second spot and say, um, they have really, you know, they really, when it first happened, dug in. And then there have been other commercials and little things since then, but that was the major, you know, I mean, they went dark, <laughs> basically, for wow. for that period of time and ran a banner and, and, and said so. Mm -hmm. Wow, wow. So part of this next question, you've actually answered a little bit of what I was going to say, what is the current situation like for you, for your family? and for your congregation? So um, my, for myself and my family, um, we're, we're doing okay. It, to be a black woman and have a black husband is interesting. Um, I got bitten by like a mosquito or something, maybe a spider earlier on in the summer and I don't react well to bites. It doesn't make me sick, but I, my arms swole up and I had to go to telemedicine, which was a new experience. And then I needed this prescription and it's like 11 o'clock at night and I'm already not feeling well. And my husband says, well, I'll go get it for you. And at that time, that was very shortly after everything was happening and all the tensions, and I didn't want him to go get that medicine for me. So I think um, the importance of sharing that is you have probably never had to think about that at 11 o'clock at night right. when you needed medicine or you're, you know, somebody's sick or you want to go help a neighbor or a friend calls and we had a friend that ended up in the hospital, you know, can you bring me a phone charger, you know, I have to think about those things. Well, oh no, you know, I have to say an extra prayer to say, you know, God, please allow my husband to come back safe when other people um, of the other races don't really have to think of that. So we're doing fine, but it really causes you, I, I guess, in a good way to dig into your faith. But on the unfortunate part, we shouldn't have to dig like that. 
um, you have to think about those things um, in that way. So that's how uh, we're, we're doing okay, though. We're people of faith and we're, you know, we're strong and we're strong for Elliot. And thankfully, um, even though he's been in private school his whole life and at St. Andrews and now um, at Norfolk Academy, um, I will say he's always been in even though they were predominantly white institutions, he's been in situations where um, really strong communities and communities that had strong identities and that uh, really supported people of all races, um, regardless of, of being black or white or Indian or uh, Native American or, or whatever. Um, and so uh, I will say that, that the response from his current school was phenomenal and that makes us feel very supported and wonderful. Right. And so, uh, so that's that. And um, we're, you know, we're just taking that day by day. And, and unfortunately, then things, you know, keep happening. So you think you've talked about George Floyd, and here comes Jacob Blake, and you know, and so, you know, additional conversations. Um, and, and then as far as our congregation, we have a brand new pastor who is not new to the ministry, but new to First Baptist Church of Hampton. And um, we are very delighted to have him. His name is uh, Reverend Dr. Todd Davidson. And he is actually from Norfolk. So he's coming back home in a way. And we are absolutely beyond thrilled to have him here. He's been a welcome addition. Um, I think you remember at the time, probably right around the time that St. Andrews was closing, um, our pastor passed away where she was sick with cancer. And then she passed shortly thereafter. Yes. And so um, uh, just a myriad of things happening, but um, not just the cancer, but she just kind of got sick and then, you know, passed. And so we uh, had to deal with all of that. And so we got this brand new pastor who really was sent to us from, from God, and he's very vocal about all of the things that are going on. So we as a congregation um, with the pandemic are not meeting currently corporately, but we are virtually meeting every Sunday. Um, we've got a rather large congregation, but also a population that is older. And so he has really, you know, tried to mitigate that risk and not have people meet, even though, um, you know, churches eventually were given the go ahead. But we have tried to not, not uh, take any unnecessary risk, I should say. And That's so he's been, also. yes, yes. Thinking. And he's been preaching every Sunday and preaching about these issues. And so um, if anyone is interested in really hearing what he is saying, I welcome you to, to our Facebook page, First Baptist Church of Hampton, or our website. Um, but uh, it's been welcome and it's been needed. Our kids, we've had several um, younger people from our congregation who have been marching, who have gone out to protest, who were tear gassed um, as they tried to help and lead and, and really just, uh, uh, lead the way, um, because they were so outraged by what was happening. And so, um, so that's a little bit, a small little snippet of what's going on there. <laughs> oh, that's really helpful. Thank you. So the next question was how you personally have experienced racism, and I'm guessing you have myriad examples. So I do um, not, I won't say myriad, I, um, but I do have examples and I like my son went to a predominantly white school uh, for middle and upper school. It was a private school and uh, had some incidents there, but the 
the most interesting part to me in dealing with, I guess, the private school community has been this current response because some have responded well and some have kind of still pushed it to the back burner. Like, you know, we don't really have to deal with that right now. One of the things that I have found very helpful is that um, both really my the school that I came from, which was Laurel School in Cleveland and Elliott's current school, talked about their history and about a time when people that look like me and my son would not have even been welcomed in those spaces. And so um, that I think has been kind of helpful, a helpful acknowledgement of the fact that things happened, that teachers made comments about our hair or mispronounced people's names. Um, my name is Chelsea, but we have, you know, students that are, that are um, actually from Africa, you know, and have African names and um, from various countries and, and to mispronounce people's names and act like that's okay, it's not okay, um, and those kind of things. And so to see those being addressed currently is really very, I think, helpful. Are we there yet? No. Um, but, uh, you know, specifically as it relates to myself, I always remember this incident years ago, Mother's Day, 20, I don't know, I don't really even know what year, maybe 2010, um, and my mom was in the back seat. Donald was driving and I was in the passenger seat and we got stopped by the police um, because he was going a little bit over the speed limit, not egregious or anything, but he got stopped. And it was one of those nice incidents. The cop was very nice and the, you know, everybody was great. And he was really trying to, you know, give Donald just a warning. And, you know, I know you weren't going very far over and all that. My husband was frozen in this kind of, I can't really even describe manner of speaking with his hands on the wheels and this rigid, he couldn't even, he, he couldn't even um, acknowledge or say thank you to this man because it was so blocked in his mind of all of the bad incidents he's had. He's been in bad situations. He's had cops uh, use force inappropriately against him. And so when those kind of things happen, when someone's not being you know, not overstepping their bounds or just doing regular, you know, their job regularly like they're supposed to. Um, for Black men especially, it is just such a hard road and a hard line to toe. And I think that I always remember that incident because I'm like, say thank you and tell the man thank you, <laughs> you know. To, but he, it, he couldn't. It was like this subconscious that kicked in that really, I mean, he was in a state of fear. And, and um, so I, I think of those incidents like that because they are numerous for people that look like me. Um, that they've had so many bad experiences that um, even the good ones are overshadowed by the bad sometimes. And so, so I, I think that's the, you know, the, the big thing. Thank you, Chelsea. Um, I added a new question because I've been thinking some about Black Lives Matter and um, hearing all kinds of opinions about it or people making statements that, oh, this is the agenda of Black Lives Matter. And I, um, I know that it's a movement and I, you know, I know that Black Lives Matter. <laughs> uh, but I just wanted to ask from your perspective, what, what's the significance for you of Black Lives Matter? Um, the, the significance, and I guess I should say, like yourself, I, I, even hear different things and not necessarily from the black community, but I have friends of all, you know, shades <laughs> from all different walks of life and, and, and people I've known since elementary school, people I've met in college and beyond. And so um, 
that was uh, the Black Lives Matter, I guess, kind of confusion for some white friends that I've seen, um, actually with a former St. Andrew's parent whose friend attacked Black Lives Matter kind of on her page one day because of a killing that was posted that had nothing to do with Black Lives Matter or White Lives Matter or All Lives Matter or anything, but because a Black person killed another Black person, um, it's then assumed, well, Black lives don't really matter because Black people don't value those lives. Well, white people kill white people and white people kill black people and black people kill white people. And unfortunately some of it is just evil in the world. Um, and you can't assign these groups that really um, are there to do good uh, to all of these things that are necessarily evil that are just going to happen regardless. So um, black lives matter to me is, is a big um movement that didn't just come about some people are just now hearing about it but there were a lot of different underground organizations and i invite people to go to their web page if you go to their web page and you look at the about section you will see them talk about incidences as far back as trayvon martin and others that really had grassroots organizations that were trying to fight for these causes of people especially of color who were being murdered at the hands of uh either police or citizens who took policing into their own hands. And so they really then joined together and became a strong unit as Black Lives Matter so that there was a concerted effort and a concerted voice to address many of these issues because we, you know, as Black people hope that we would not be in 2020 after Trayvon Martin and Tamir Rice and all of these things. And now we're talking about Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd, Jacob Blake, and on and on and on. And so Black Lives Matter sometimes gets a bad rap because of the protests that happen and then looters come out and these things and they assign all of that to Black Lives Matter. When in fact, Black Lives Matter is not encouraging any of that. They are encouraging dialogue, uh, healthy demonstrations of protest and the like to really say we need attention on these issues. Black people are being killed by others uh, who have ill agendas. Police who may have implicit bias or subconscious bias against races. Um, citizens like uh, what ha I, I hate to mention the name of the individual who killed Trayvon Martin, so I won't mention his name, but um, he was a child. Tamir Rice was a child. These were not, you know, 25, 30, 40-year-old men. They were children. And so um, Black Lives Matter is really just trying to get people to understand that we don't matter more than a you or anyone else. We matter as much as Chelsea wants to matter as much as Anne, and you know I want my husband to matter as much as your husband and as much as the next person's husband, and be seen as a person and not, um, as my husband said the other day, you know we've been looking at different um, celebrities and other people who are giving all these quotes and talking about, you know, some police officers and some people who are white really see black skin as a weapon. And so when he walks out of the house, I mean, he's got 
degrees, several degrees and several, you know, had very wonderful jobs and all of these great things and very well educated and none of that matters because the first thing that is often seen is that he's a black man and so people may feel threatened by that unnecessarily. He's never committed a crime. He's not robbed anyone or shot or killed or, you know, any of these things, you know, outside I will say he's in the army. He was in the army. So I, you know, but, but not that, you know, he's never taken the law into his own hands and, and done any crazy stuff, but people make assumptions that he is going to white people most especially. And, and we just don't want the world to be like that anymore. And that's a lot of what black lives matter is trying to get people to understand we matter and can we get to this place of being seen as mattering and then we can say all lives matter if we say black people matter as much native americans matter as much uh, other people who are of color children who are you know being detained in cages matter as much as white people so that we can all matter um, that would be the greatest gift of all to really get to all lives mattering truly, but we can't get there if we don't recognize that other people matter as much as other people, basically. You've, you've probably seen this same um, example given, but one that really struck me was, um, you know, if you said to me, you and I were talking and you said to me, you know, Anne, my mom died. If I said to you, well, all moms die. Right. I mean, that completely negates yes. your experience. Yes. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. And that was just really helpful. I mean, all, yes. all, you know, all kinds of things happen to everybody, but, um, you know, or when, I mean, another example I've seen again, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it too, is if somebody's wearing a pink ribbon for breast for cancer, cancer yes. you know, mm -hmm. we don't say to them, well, colon cancer matters more, right. you know, or, right. um, but, but anyway. Um, yes, absolutely. And I, I love those examples. And I, I've seen some of those. And then also the one about the houses being on fire. Well, if my house is on fire, I need water right now. I don't need to spray all the houses on the block, which are already fine. We need to spray water in this one house. And now that it's not on fire anymore, we can all move on together. Um, that's a great one. I haven't seen that example. Yes. So Chelsea, what can white Christians do to be allies for you? And is there anything in particular you'd like to say to the, again, most, most of the people at St. Andrews are, are white folks. So I'm, I have in mind my congregation and, and other white Christians who care about racism and maybe don't know where to begin or what to do or... Um, I, I would say a great place to begin is to make sure that you are, and your congregation is, but I guess to the greater white Christian body, that um, you are listening to people such as yourself. When your pastor says, hey, these things are important, and they're having conversations with black friends about these things, listen, listen to what the conversations are. Do you have to agree with everything that people say? No, but to get a perspective and to gain, you know, some understanding on the things that are happening, um, I think it is a wonderful start. Um, I have a, a friend, a teacher who's a, a white Christian whose church is flying the biggest Black Lives Matter flag I've ever seen. On top of it, it's like a cathedral. She's in Chicago and it's like a cathedral. And <laughs> she put this picture on Facebook and I say, well, this is a good start to be in those places with, with pastors that really do understand that it's important at least to have the conversation, if nothing else. Um, 
and to not stay in your little group. Don't stay in your little congregation and just think you're hearing every perspective. Um, within your white congregation at St. Andrews or, or mostly white, yes, you're going to hear varying perspectives. There's probably somebody who's got a son or daughter-in-law of color, or there's probably someone who has grandchildren that have been adopted from another country. And those things are great. Talk to those friends. Also talk to other friends at other churches. We all have friends at other churches. And um, it's important to, as Christians say, how can we really live the love that is Jesus? Because that was his mission, um, really was love and charity to your neighbor and caring about really everyone. Um, I've seen a lot of these t-shirts now that say Jesus was an unarmed black man. And so, you know, I know people feel different ways about that, but at the, at the heart of it, think about the way that Jesus was, was persecuted and, and taken up to Calvary and hung on a cross for crimes he didn't commit, um, aside from really trying to bring the gospel to life. And so um, we know that that is the crux of our belief, that then he was, you know, he died, he buried, he rose again. And so think on those things. When you see someone and you say, mm, or you want to cross the street, or you don't want to be in an elevator with someone of color, or you think you're going to get robbed, um, think about, is this real that this is going to happen to me? Has this ever happened to me? Are these just stories my mother, grandmother, whoever told me? Or is it real? And, and a lot of times I think when we examine the bias within ourselves, um, especially my white friends, as I've seen, it's not that anything ever happened to them negatively with black people per se. It's that they heard stories of, of this and that happening. Um, and as we've seen in recent times, some of those stories came out to be untrue, that people you know, lied and said that people had done things to them that really hadn't happened, or black people did things to white people that really didn't happen. And, and so remembering that black people then were lynched for some of those things. Um, right. We just have to be very honest about what the history is in America, and then especially as Christians, how we can live the love that we say we believe. We read our, you know, we have our Red Book of Common Prayer and we have the Bible and those things, what are those, those can't just be words, they have to be beliefs and feelings, then we have to live those accordingly. That's great advice. Thank you. You're welcome. And then Chelsea, what, if anything, gives you hope in this current time and situation that we're in? Um, well, so I guess I, I still think about this conversation that you contacted me, that we're having this conversation, that you've had all these other great conversations. What gives me hope is when you see people trying to have an understanding um, that really, uh, that really gives me hope. I think the other thing is that some people are acknowledging at least that, um, that it is as bad as, as we have, we as a community, the black community for years to said, there's this, you know, systemic racism and there's, you know, uh, all of these things. And I think that um, for some, especially white friends who are really becoming allies right now, that gives us a lot of hope that there are people um, like my former teacher who is really supporting her church in Black Lives Matter and, and supporting the message that her uh, pastor is putting out, that you are doing this, that there are others around the country who are really trying to say, we need to have open, honest conversation. 
And we really can't move anywhere if we don't at least have that open, honest conversation. Again, not that we'll always agree on everything. Um, it's just like having, you know, Democrats, Republicans, and independents. You can, you know, uh, like people or dislike them, but you may not always agree. And that's okay, but have the conversation um, to try to get to a place of understanding. We didn't, you know, most much like anyone who comes here, you don't really choose to be white or black. You just, you know, you wake up one day and you were born and here you are. Uh, God blessed you to be, you know, a woman, a man, a black, white. And so understand that for us, it's not something that we can take off, but most of us, 92% of us, 99% of us would not have it any other way. I love being black. I love the cultural identity that I have in that. Um, we just want to be treated the way others are treated. And, and so having this conversation, having several conversations like that really does give me hope that, that people are, are looking and understanding. And that um, I want people also not to avoid when the things like Jacob Blake and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, George Floyd happen. Look at the videos. If you're a white person who has never looked at one of those videos because, oh, it's so gruesome. It is gruesome this is our reality. That could have been my husband or anyone else of my friends who are black. That could have been their husband on the street. Um, remembering that most of these incidents are not because someone committed some outrageous crime or murder or, you know, anything like that. Um, it's just misunderstandings and, and ill will sometimes that's carried out. And so uh, look at those videos so that you really have an understanding of why there is such an outrage. Um, I think that will help a lot of people. That one of the things that I'm becoming more and more aware of is that part of white privilege is to be able to choose, I'm not going to look at this, I'm not going to have this conversation. Um, you don't, people of color don't have that option. That's the world that you're living in. And so my, my hope and my, my intention for myself is to do exactly what you're saying, to look at the hard things, um, not you know, I'm going to make mistakes and say wrong things, but to engage in the conversation rather than stepping back, um, yes. because that's not honoring the connection we all have as children of God. And that, yes. yeah. yeah, and and it can be hard. Reach out to a friend. You don't have to necessarily. If you think it's too hard to pick up the phone and and whatever, that that's great. You know, I can understand that. But send a message. You know, send a message on Messenger. Send a quick email that just says, you know, I, I I'm white and I've never had to live this. I don't know, or or you know, I'm just concerned about you know how you're feeling in the moment. Um, or or are you okay? Or you know. I said a prayer for you. I mean, even just the little things to say, you know, I see the things that are happening um, and, and it's concerning just even as a person, not a white person or a black person, just that, you know, it's sad that a person from a community, you know, got gunned down and is back, you know, <laughs> as he's trying to, to turn the other way. And, and that, you know, really affects people and their psyche. And a lot of people are not dealing well with that right now. Um, because they don't have the strong Christian faith necessarily. Um, and so, so it's, it's been difficult for many people. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I would venture to say even people with a strong Christian faith, mm -hmm. it's still, you know, your heart still aches at horrible things that happen or seeing yes. injustice. Um, you know, we, our faith tells us that in the end, Jesus is the victor. 
but right now we're, we're living in a broken world. And so, um, yeah, trying to walk there. Yes. Chelsea, I am so grateful to you for, for being willing to have this conversation with me. And we, we typically end these with some prayer. Um, so if it's okay with you, I'll say a few words of prayer and then you'll say some prayer. And then if you could lead us into the Lord's Prayer. And just so, so that you know, it always sounds a little funny when we're both talking at the same time. Yes. And it's okay. And my hope is that the folks who are watching are also saying the prayer with us. So it's fine if it's wonky. <laughs> <laughs> Holy God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to spend time with Chelsea. I thank you for her courage and her candor in sharing her experiences and her wisdom with us. I pray for all of us, your children of every hue, black and white and brown and people created in the incredible diversity and beauty that you poured out on humankind. I pray that we will learn to listen to each other, to act in love with one another, that those of us who are white-skinned and are living with privilege that we may not even realize we have, that our eyes will be opened and that we will be courageous about taking steps to work against the racism that's so pervasive in our society. I pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Dear God, thank you so much for allowing us to have open conversations. Um, even just short moments of time where we can spend together with those that we call friends that don't look like us. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to know people who don't all look like us and to be able to engage with them in, in an open and honest way that uh, some little thing that, that is said on either side would touch, uh, touch someone else who's listening to, to cause them to stop and think, about how they can make this world a better place and how they can live out uh, the mission of, of love, which we believe in so heartily and that we hope uh, to carry out your, your will on this earth and to really love one another as we have been loved by you. I thank you for my friend Anne and for the St. Andrews Episcopal Church family um, and the school, which nurtured my little one so wonderfully uh, through his, his very beginning formative years. I thank you for allowing us to come together, and I pray that you will allow all of us to continue these hard conversations with each other uh, regarding race and racism and incidents that happen um, in, in America so that we can make this country and this world a better place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, listener, what are you thinking and feeling right now? Are Chelsea's experiences similar to your own, or are they different? Why is that? How could what Chelsea said influence the way you interact with and perceive the people around you? Chelsea talked about how her husband's bad experiences with the police caused him to be frozen, even in a good interaction. How evil and violent acts will happen, even when an organization like Black Lives Matter is only trying to raise awareness and promote reconciliation. How people might have biases not based on their own experience or even something that really happened. For our friends of faith, Chelsea asks you to think about what you say you believe, what you pray, and ask yourself if that is just words or real emotion, real convictions, real actions. And for anyone, person of faith or not, think about what you want the world to be like, what ideals you have for society, and ask yourself if you are living into those, if you are confronting the problems, engaging in the conversation, trying to understand people who are different from you. It is okay to try and make mistakes, but it is not okay to avoid the problem and avoid reality. Thank you for listening, and thank you for following and sharing Love Your Neighbor. This show is produced by St. Andrew's Episcopal Church, Newport News, Virginia.